Martial Arts World Radio is the official radio show and podcast of The Factory Martial Arts Boxing and Fitness at 450 Matheson Boulevard East, Unit 44, Mississauga, Ontario. Check us out at www.factorygrindgym.com. Welcome to Martial Arts World Radio. I'm your host, Joseph Clark. Are you a champion? Do you truly believe you deserve to be a champion? Have you earned it? Are you honest with yourself about areas that require improvement, attention, and effort? We ask these and other relevant questions of today's martial arts stars. Each week, in every show, we speak to different fighters from the UFC, Olympic martial arts medalists, world champion martial artists and icons, legends, and pioneers, many of whom have gone on to become stars of martial arts cinema. I have a book to bring to your attention. Check out Why I Fight by BJ Penn, a blunt and brutal look at UFC champion BJ Penn's hardest-fought victories and most frustrating defeats. This week's inspirational quote is from Winston Churchill and goes as follows, Success is not final. Failure is not final. It is the courage to continue that counts. Winston Churchill, 1874 to 1965. Be sure to check us out at www.mawradio.com. And if you are a radio station that's interested in carrying Martial Arts World Radio, you can get more details at our website on our global affiliate network. We're always looking to expand on that network and we're interested in hearing from you. That's www.mawradio.com. This is Lauren Avedon, and you're listening to Martial Arts World Radio with your host, Joseph Clark. Richard Norton is an accomplished martial artist with over 45 years of dedication to his studies and practice, resulting in black belts in multiple disciplines. He's well-known and respected equally amongst the global who's-who black belt community and the martial arts cinema community. He has trained with the biggest names in martial arts, Chuck Norris, Superfoot Bill Wallace, Cynthia Rothrock, and Don the Dragon Wilson, to name but a few. He has been a bodyguard and provided security for David Bowie, the Rolling Stones, James Taylor, John Belushi, ABBA, and Fleetwood Mac. However, that is just a small sample of his clientele. He has worked as an actor, stuntman, and fight choreographer on an incredible resume of films and television productions, which includes over 50 productions, and he's been frequently featured in martial art magazines. Speaking to us from Australia is Richard Norton. Richard, welcome, and thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Joe. Pleasure to be with you. Now, you were recently in Toronto working on the film Suicide Squad. Would you tell us about that? Well, uh, the first thing I remember about Toronto and Suicide Squad is I've never been so cold in all my life, Joe. (laughs) That was in in February. I remember going outside and wondering, why do they have these... uh, pathway this underground sort of city and it took me two minutes to realize why you had that i was freezing but aside from that it it's a wonderful wonderful city and doing suicide squad was a fantastic um experience you know especially considering the cast and some of the friendships that i made on that shoot and were you a fight coordinator were you uh, coordinating stunts what capacity did they employ you on that set no i was hired as fight coordinator Okay. Um, and the job, you know, that the fight coordinator is, is, of course, hired by the supervising stunt coordinator, which is Guy Norris. I've known Guy for 25-plus years, worked on many numerous productions, so Guy brings me on. And so my job is just to put, put the fights together. And, of course, I always say to people, fight coordinator, it's not like I choreograph every move so much. I had some wonderful, wonderful locals as uh, stunt doubles for the actors, you know, like Will Smith and Margot Robbie, and um, it was just a great team. So it's a very collaborative sort of thing that we do. In other words, we get on the mat and we just start figuring out the script. Everything that we do in Fight Sense is based on character and story. It's not just a matter of putting a whole lot of flashing moves together. 
And uh, as I said, it was just a great little team, and, and, and we just have a lot of fun doing that. Of course, it's important work. We need to be safe. And uh, as I said, everything we need do needs to be pertinent to the script and story, and of course, stay true to what the director wants you know, out of a shoot like that. And I find with A-level movies, fight choreography today is ever-changing and improving. Does it become a challenge to show the audience something they haven't seen before? Oh, there's no question about it. My favorite mantra when we start films like this is there is there's virtually no fight that hasn't already been done. I mean, you know, in my day, we had sort of karate movies, and then there was ninja movies and Vietnam movies and war movies, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, now there's a lot of what we call extreme, you know, there's, there's acrobatics involved in the fights. You've got a lot of wire work that they do in all the Marvel and DC comic movies and Avengers and so on. So that, that's, that's the biggest dilemma is how do you make something different? And this is why I like to stress that we have a saying that the fights should be incidental to a good story. In other words, you should be able to take the fights out of an action movie, in my mind, and still have a really good, interesting story to watch. Otherwise, it's kind of just a whole lot of little show pieces, and I think people get very bored with that, which is why, again, everything we do, we try and base on character and on story. If it doesn't fit into that storyline, the drama of that story, then it's out of place, and I think audiences, even though they might be able to articulate why they don't buy it, I just think they don't. And part of part of my job, I find, is is getting with the actors, and and of course, having said that, it, it it helps when you have just amazing actors like a Will Smith or a Margot Robbie to work with. And I try and explain that fights are just a continuation of the drama. We call it nonverbal dialogue, where you have it coming from. You know, what started the fight? What's your intent? Are you angry? Are you sad? Are you fearful? All of those elements need to go into that particular fight, as well as, very importantly, what gives that character a license to be able to do the moves or use the weapons that they use in that fight. I mean, a perfect example would be if you had, in the old Dirty Harry movies, if suddenly Clint Eastwood jumped up and did a jumping, spinning heel kick, you would go, well, how the heck does he know how to do that? In other words, it wouldn't sort of fall in line with his character background and where he would obtain those skills. So that's a very important part for me. And, and I have also something, a bit of a mantra I say to the actors, that if you can see the character thinking in the middle of the fight, in other words, not just going through the moves, you know, because anybody can do that. We can get stunt doubles to do that perfectly. But if we can have the character and we have the camera on the face of that actor and we see them making decisions within that fight, I think that's gold. And I think that's what will really draw an audience in, even if it means that the fight is a little more basic than something else they'd seen. In other words, it's got an organic sort of flavor to it. You know, it becomes more real. And, you know, that's that's my push with the fights. As much as as much as we can do, and as I said, when you get wonderful actors, it's not that difficult because I'll say to Margot, well, you don't know that person's over there when you turn to shoot them. You know, we need to sense that there's some awareness that you have that makes you turn, that makes you aim your firearm and shoot that person. Or if in the case of Suicide Squad, you know, somebody behind you and she smacks them in the head with a baseball bat. There's got to be that non-action in other words what are you thinking and doing just before that actual physical action and i believe that shows on the face of the character and the actor and again for me that's what makes it far more interesting what that actor will bring to that character in the middle of that action sure i guess the audience takes for granted how much dramatic acting actually goes into fight scenes now you were also hired by the producers of mad max fury road was that a similar engagement Absolutely, yes. I was fight coordinator on Mad Max Fury Road. And once again, due to my uh, my dear friend Guy Norris, who was uh, again in charge of second unit and supervising, you know, he's he's just an amazing mind when it comes to action and, and getting his head around the most complicated and complex situations. So I come in as fight coordinator. That, again, was an incredible experience. Not only, if nothing else, because it's such an iconic Australian franchise, the Mad Max movies, and to be finally involved in one and on set 
with George Miller, who again is such an iconic director, as everybody would know. I mean, I was just like a kid in a, you know, in a playground. It was just fantastic. And as you know, we shot that in Namibia. In uh, well, Namibia used to be part of South Africa. It's south of South Africa, and just to be out there in the in the wilderness in Africa. I mean, goodness me! I thought, how good is this? You know. Uh, it was tough, you know, it was tough. We're in the middle of nowhere. Your home is kind of like a tin car that you happen to be in, in the middle of the desert. There's dust sure. storms and there's all sorts of mist and everything else that rolls in. But, again, that just sort of, I think, adds to the whole organicness of the end result of that picture, which it's just, it's almost made people rethink the way we do action just because it's it's back to old school. Sure, there were CG, you know CG effects and visual effects in there, but every stunt you saw was real. Real stunt pen putting their lives on the line, crashing real cars, and uh, I think that's that's fantastic. In other words, it wasn't all tricked up with modern technology. It was just raw and gutsy, which was always George Miller's sort of uh, vision for that, and I think that was that was achieved. It was incredibly successful from that point of view. Excellent. Now, Richard, Fighting Stars magazine ranked your climactic fight with Chuck Norris in the movie The Octagon as number 13 on its list of the 25 greatest fight scenes of all time. Would you walk us through the experience of setting up that fight scene with Chuck Norris? Well, Octagon was my first film in the United States. I had done one movie or doubled an actor in Australia in about 1976, I think it was, but I never aspired to get into movies. It was, you know, Bob Jones, a partner of mine, we set up a style called Zendokai back in the 70s. Um, Bob went over to Australia, brought Chuck out uh, to do some demonstrations. And I was doing demonstrations on the same card, and I happened to be demonstrating with Sai and Bo, a few different weapons. And uh, Chuck and I just got on like a house on fire. You know, we became immediate friends. He said to me, if you get to California, look me up, and we'll do some training which you can imagine for an Aussie kid, you know, all that far away, that was like, oh, I couldn't believe that was actually happening. I ended up going to the States in 79 as a personal bodyguard to James Taylor and then to Ronstadt. The first person I called up was Chuck, and uh, we started training every morning in his house. And, you know, I'm paraphrasing now, but he said, look, I'd like you to play the lead bad guy in this uh, movie we're prepping called The Octagon. And that was based on him knowing I could handle, you know, Okinawan weapons, etc. So we started putting the fights together in the backyard of Chuck's house. He used to live in a place called Rolling Hills Estates, you know, out past uh, LAX Airport. And uh, with, of course, Chuck's brother, Aaron, and we just started putting together. In fact, Chuck's even still got old black and white footage of some of the rehearsals and us figuring those fights out. And uh, that's how it all started. And I remember thinking, wow, this is, this is, how cool is this, you know, to be on in the backyard training with Jeff Norris and now getting into a movie with him. And of course I get on the set and there's, um, you know, Sensei Tamashi Yamashita. Uh, he's just a, a, an amazing martial artist, uh, Simon and Philip Ree. In other words, it was just a cross section of the who's who of martial arts Surreal. on set, getting to train and interact with, and off we go. And, and the end result being, being the actual fight. I, I think, I think also what was good about that fight it's a bit like what we said when we're going back to old school. It was shot quite wide. In other words, you got to see what the characters were doing, as in uh, Chuck and myself. You got to appreciate the skill set. And, and it wasn't as though it was that complex. But I believe, again, it just had an organic feel with it. So I'm, I'm thrilled that people you know, still resonate with that fight. Now, Richard, you have co-starred in many Hong Kong action films, and you've worked with Jackie Chan, I believe, three times? Yes, correct. What is it like working with Jackie? <laughs> Initially, incredibly difficult. And I say that because when I first went over, I went over thinking, okay, you know, probably 10, 12-hour days, you know, normal union picture. I'll get to do a lot of my own stuff. Well, nothing could have been further from the truth. It was a film called Twinkle, Twinkle, Lucky Stars that Sammo Hong was directing. And for those who don't know, there's, like in, in Chinese sort of, Standing, Sammo Hong, his big brother, Jackie, his brother, and Yun Bill, another great Chinese um, martial artist, was a younger brother, you know. And so I'm on the set with these guys, and we did a little bit of drum for a while, and then the action started. 
And I was literally on the set doing this first fight, which was with the great Sam Mahong, for three and a half weeks. And I was on the set 18 hours a day, seven days a week. And we're fighting all day long. You do a piece, sit down, they figure out another bit, and off you went. It was the most grueling thing I've ever been through. The contact, at least to the body, was virtually full body contact. I even copped uppercuts under the chin from Samo, um, where they, they put the camera in a particular position where he had to hit me, and they wanted to see my face contorting in slow motion. <laughs> I remember finding a bit of cotton wool to put in my teeth because it wouldn't want to chip my teeth. But So it was grueling, but, I, you know, look, luckily I was always in really good shape. I didn't mind the, the impact and the contact. And that first movie is what led to me doing another two with, with Jackie. They... They just appreciated that I would do what they asked, that I would take the bumps and not complain. And, and uh, you know, in fact, at one stage, I was the only Westerner ever asked to do more than one movie with Jackie, which, you know, is something I'm very proud of. And it's not because I'm a better martial artist than anyone else. I think I just had an understanding of the timing that Jackie needed, and it, it just worked for their purposes. And uh, I learned so much because it's so different from a Western film in timing and contact and everything else, camera placement. But it was just an amazing uh, learning experience for me working in Hong Kong. I went on to City Hunter uh, with Jackie, of course, and then uh, Mr. Nice Guy, which we shot in Australia playing the lead baddies, and then worked with Sama Hong in Millionaire's Express, which was uh, a separate movie, which, again, was just an amazing experience. So very different, as I said, from, from American-style movies. I can just say that much. Some great films. You have been a trainer, and you have produced instructional videos and conducted seminars. Tell us about adrenal dump, stress control, and preemptive strikes. Well, reality-based training, you know, the, the thing that's sort of, I would say, missing in, in a lot of martial arts schools is the actual what we call pressure testing. In other words, it's it's quite controlled. You know, you know somebody's going to throw, a, say, a right straight punch, and you're going to do all these moves and blocks and counters. So it's very predictable. It's what I call consensual sparring. And in fact, most combat sports are consensual. You you know, in, in a boxing match, it's consensual. In other words, you know you're fighting the person in the opposite corner. There's a referee, bell rings, and off you go. And there are rules. MMA is the same. Wrestling is the same. The problem with the street is there are no rules. There's nobody that's going to say stop. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. If somebody's getting hurt or whatever, and that's that's very very confronting for somebody that hasn't experienced that. And luckily, working on doors and doing bodyguard work for 25 years, I understand what adrenal dump is. And pretty much, it's just when your pulse rate shoots up and they've had pulse rates of up to 200 beat minute in ambush situations in other words when you're standing there in the next minute out of the corner of your eye somebody's throwing a punch and trying to take your head off your pulse rate just goes through the roof the results of that are a little bit it's it's basically your forebrain gets hijacked by your midbrain and you're really in fight or flight mode you're not going to do complex motor skills you're going to get into what we call gross motor skills well, you're really in survival mode. And in that state, when you react, and importantly, when people react, you've got to think what that means. It's a reaction. The action you react with should be what you've drilled into your nervous system over and over again, but also under pressure as much as possible in your academy, in your dojo, to prepare you for that adrenal dump. Because it's quite debilitating. I mean, a lot of people get the freeze syndrome where they just freeze and then unable to think coherently, you know, and to take the necessary steps to survive. So that's that's kind of a, and I'm, I know we've got short time and it's a lot more complex than that. Mm-hmm. But the point of that is this is why actually things like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, kickboxing, everything else do have their place, even in controlled dojo, because you're actually getting punched. You're punching people. You're getting tapped out or you're tapping somebody out with submission locks and holds. And that alone can be quite confronting. But it goes a long way to prepare you for that no real situation out there in the street. Preemptive strikes, just quickly, are all based on action-reaction principle. That if you're standing in front of somebody, if you know 100% what they're going to throw at you, whether it's a headbutt or a right hand or a left hook, that's okay. But the problem is you don't. You have to be right 100% of the time. 
So if you're going to wait to get the perception of something, somebody, say, launching a big right-hand hook and punch at your head, to recognize it, get neurological relay, make a decision, oh, he's throwing a punch, I have to block or move, it's too late. So the preemption comes in, you need to be first. And that's based on all the body language of the person in front of you, maybe what they've said to you, the way they clench their fist. You make a decision that if the next three seconds they're going to try and rearrange my face, I have to go first. You have to decide the attack. And that gives you the opportunity to decide what you strike with, where you strike with, and how hard you strike with, as opposed to reacting. And uh, I, I kind of say that you've got to make a judgment call because you are responsible for what you do. But as the old saying goes, better to be judged by 12 than carried out by six. So that's kind of the basis for that, uh, Joe. Now, Richard, we're down to our last two minutes of our interview here. It goes by all too fast, and obviously 20 minutes is just scratching the surface of what you could share. But you have an extensive site with some great philosophy blogs. Would you share the URL for that site to us or with us? Uh, it's Richard. It's www.richardnorton.net. Is there a particular area of personal philosophy that would be relevant that you would like to share with us briefly tonight? Oh, look, there's so many, Joe, and I'd love to do this again because, as, as you said, we just scratched the surface. But I just want people to understand as martial arts why we do what we do and how, why we learn what people would call warlike techniques, which seem to be the antithesis to being spiritual and martial and everything else. But if I've got time, there's a quick little story that I love and it basically goes, it's, it was in a magazine called The Peaceful Warrior, and it's where a young apprentice, while training in the use of the Chinese sword, asked his teacher why, if he was striving to be inwardly calm and at peace, why did he learn to need to learn the ways of a warrior? Would it not be more tranquil and serene to be a gardener and tend the plants, he asked. And tending the garden, the master replied, is a relaxing pastime but it does not prepare one for the inevitable battles of life. It is easy to be calm in a serene setting. To be calm and serene when under attack is much more difficult. So therefore, I tell you that it is far better to be a warrior tending his garden rather a guard, rather than a gardener at war. Meaning that we can be that peaceful warrior, but when the violence is brought to you, whether it's a car and jacking, home invasion, that's when it seems to be smart to have some warrior skills. In other words, we're not taking the violence to people, but if it's brought to your step, better to be a warrior in the garden. And I love that philosophy as a justification for what we do. And it very much follows the samurai code, you know, where you have the sword, but you also complete gentlemen. They understood Chano Yu, the tea ceremony, flower arrangement. In other words, they were very rounded gentlemen with their combative art and their skill with the sword. And I very much, uh, I very much believe and sort of push that mantra as much as I can. Richard, we hope you will return real soon. And I want to thank you for speaking with us today. And I congratulate you on an incredible martial arts journey. Thank you. Thank you very much, Joe. And I, I would love to do it again. As I said, I'm not a bad talker. We could go on for ages and I'd love <laughs> to share just some of my life experiences. As you said, I've been fortunate to train with some of the best and, and that knowledge needs to be passed on. It's not mine. It's just opinions. It's it's something that I think that was well worthy that we, we chat about and, and pass on at least to give uh, different martial arts, especially the younger ones, food for thought. You know? So thank you very much for having me on. Really enjoyed it. And thank you once again. This has been an interview with Richard Norton. This is world champion Steve Nasty Anderson. You're listening to Martial Arts World Radio with Joseph Clark. For those of you listening to Martial Arts World Radio well on your phones, tablets, or laptops, be sure to check out www.worldblackbelt.com, the world's foremost martial arts online community. Also Google the book The Tao, T-A-O, of MMA, or go to Amazon and do a search for The Tao of MMA. Clifford Big Cat Starks is an American middleweight professional MMA fighter with 13 wins and three losses to his record. He has fought for the UFC, Bellator, World Series of Fighting, and other fight promotion companies. Clifford, thank you for joining us, and welcome to Martial Arts World Radio. Thanks for having me. You went to Arizona State University. What degree did you graduate with? I ended up getting a degree in kinesiology. 
And where did you do your associate's degree? At Mesa Community College. So what sports did you compete in while you were in college and university? I competed in several, football, wrestling, and track and field. Oh, very good. And did you wrestle in high school as well? Yes. And at what age did you begin training in combat sports? Uh, Combat sports, I began around 28. Around 28 years of age. So you actually started... I was actually a late bloomer. A late bloomer, (laughs) a little later in life. Uh, Yep. And Clifford, you took your first UFC fight with just a week's notice. Please share that story with us. Um, yeah, I just finished a shark fight. Uh, after that victory, I was actually out partying and celebrating, enjoying the victory that I had. And my coach called me and told me they had a UFC fight available. And if I'd be ready, I asked when it was. And he said next Saturday. <laughs> and I said, well, it looks like I'm, I'm going to have to be ready then. So and that's what became the uh, career of my UFC debut. And did you have an interest in martial arts or combat sports growing up? I know you didn't actually take formal instruction, but was there any interest there from movies or boxing or anything like that? Um, I was always interested in uh, any kind of art, any kind of fighting art. I liked watching a lot of boxing. Uh, I liked I liked karate as well, Muay Thai. And so I've always had the desire to learn it i just never really put it put the tools together and tried it for myself until later in life and did you follow some of the early days or the golden era of the ufc i did i was actually really impressed with uh what hoist gracie was able to do being much smaller than some of the opponents he competed against so i had a it i when i would see what a jiu-jitsu specialist could do to a much larger guy I thought that was a pretty cool art and do you watch martial art films I do any in particular that stand out as your favorites um Bruce Lee actually is one of my favorite actors also of course the uh, kickboxing trilogy I watched that as well but uh Return of the Dragon is one of my favorites Oh, yes. Return of the Dragon. And, you know, Enter the Dragon, the opening scene in Enter the Dragon between Bruce Lee and Sammo Hung. I mean, that that was shot back in the what, the early, you know, early to mid-70s. And that scene is a complete choreography of MMA. Back then, they called it freestyle martial arts. But obviously, it played right into Bruce Lee's philosophy. And, and it's a respectable choreography of MMA that would stand up in, I think, the octagon today. I agree. Yeah, he, he's definitely one of the pioneers of our sport. Do you have any favorite UFC fighters that are inspirations for you? Um, I really like the way George St. Pierre fights. Um, I know a lot of people are talking about how later on he was just going for the decision, but you got to remember he's fighting with high-level, top-of-the-chain guys going for the title. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to get to get the knockout or the submission on a regular basis is very difficult to do. He always came in with the perfect game plan, and he he beat him with the perfect game plan. And people thought they could figure out how find a weakness of his, and no one ever did. And that's really difficult to do in the sport as long as he did it for. Yeah, and you know, Clifford, it, a lot of people don't understand that, you know, a lot of times wild card knockouts, they're very flashy and they can be very intriguing and entertaining. But a lot of the audience, I'm sure you'll agree, doesn't understand that a strategic fight, a strategist and a technician might not make for the most entertaining flashy fight, but there's a lot of skill and and patience that goes into that kind of a victory. Oh, completely, completely. I said the way he was able to, he actually had the perfect mix, him and uh, Mighty Mouth as well. Two fighters that have a perfect mix of the grappling aspect and the striking aspect. And it's hard to find someone who can go from all areas of the game and be strong everywhere. So when you're training, are you trying to emphasize being well-rounded or is there a particular strength that you try to capitalize on? Um, I think it's best to be well-rounded. It is easy to fall in love with something that you're strong at. (laughs) You want to do that all the time. Sure. But um, 
I think the best route is to consistently fine-tune every area, fine-tune your strengths and your weaknesses as well. Clifford, when you are not training or competing in MMA, do you have other hobbies? Yes. I do like to read a lot, actually. Oh, very good. What do you like to read? Um, one of my favorite authors was uh, Napoleon Hill. And Napoleon I Hill, good author. Reading, yeah, I actually just finished reading a book called Outwitting the Devil. And I read his book, Think and Grow Rich. I also had uh, Dale Carnegie. I only read one of his books, which is How to Win Friends and Influence People, which is another interesting book. Good books. You were inducted into your high school Mountain Points Hall of Fame alongside an Olympian, a polio survivor who went on to a successful career as an innovator in media and a successful comedian and writer in Hollywood, how do you feel about being recognized by your high school for your achievements in the Octagon and as an athlete? Um, it's really awesome to be put into uh, such a high-level caliber of names like that. I mean, as an individual, you, you at least me personally, I try and just be the best man that I can be. Um, my parents raised me to focus on you and let the outcome fall the way it will fall, but be just the perfect version of you that you can be. And um, to have the honors that I've, I've gotten, I, I very much appreciate them. And Clifford, you've mentored youths who have been targets of bullying, and this is a subject which you obviously place personal importance on. Please tell us about that. Um, yeah, um, the reason I'm so strong-willed on that is I used to get bullied myself when I was younger. I was a heavier set kid, and um, I always say you have you have two ways of looking at it. You can become angry at bullies and try and become a bully yourself, or you can try and understand why a bully is what a bully is, and not necessarily be bigger than the bully, but understanding the bully and helping the bully get through what they have trouble getting through. If I, if I am bullied and I get upset and I start bullying other people, then it's just it's that circle that's never broken. But if you can take the chance to understand that individual and be a strong individual yourself and maintain what you are and try and actually understand the individual, you'd be surprised you can create long-lasting friendships that way. Clifford, are there heroes in your life? Um, my dad's probably my biggest hero because he, he just kind of instilled with me a lot of the habits that I have today, and they haven't done me wrong yet. <laughs> one, of the, one of the simplest ones was uh, he actually put me up to the mirror, had me look at it, and he reminded me that no matter what happens in this world, it's because you did it and nobody else. And if you remember that and you don't make yourself a victim in life, you can do anything. And so I've really, really stood by what he said on that, and it's done nothing but good for me. And it certainly has done nothing but good for you. When it comes to your repertoire of skills in MMA, do you have any areas, for lack of a better term, I don't want to say weak areas, but do you have areas where you recognize those are opportunities to improve, areas that you want to develop better? Uh, the thing with MMA, it makes it very difficult to perfect every area because when you are working on one area, you're kind of weakening another area because you can't work on all of them all the time, especially when you're getting ready for a fight. Sure. When you're getting ready for a fight, you're kind of tailoring towards their weaknesses. But um, basically, to develop the best all-around game, possible is to consistently go into everybody else's strengths. So basically, what I mean, if you're looking for boxing, you go with high-level boxers. You don't go with other MMA fighters. If you're going into jiu-jitsu, you go with high-level jiu-jitsu athletes, and the same with wrestling. You go with high-level wrestlers. If you go with just other MMA guys, MMA essentially is a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none because you just don't have time to perfect the craft the way, say, a boxer is doing nothing but boxing. There's no way an MMA fighter can box 
wrestle and do jujitsu and expect to be as good in boxing. And the same with jujitsu and the same with wrestling. So I think the best way to work on your weaknesses is to go with people who are actually experts in that, that area. Clifford, our final question for this evening, do you have any advice for our listeners on how to be honest with themselves, honest with ourselves and mindful about those areas that we must improve on? Because it it can be very difficult for us to be able to admit where those areas are and that we do in fact have weaknesses or faults. Would you give us some advice on how to approach that? Um, Yeah, I guess the best way to put it would be uh, we're in school, we're given A's, B's, C's, D's, and F's. And nobody wants an F or a D because an F means that you're a failure. But failures are really what makes success. It depends on how you look at it. If you look at life as my failure is going to get me closer to where I need to go, not my failure is the end. That's the end goal. And unfortunately, a lot of people see it as that. So they don't want to even admit that they failed at something. But in order to be successful, you have to fail. In order to be successful, you have to experience failure. Clifford, this has been a terrific interview, and I want to thank you for your candor, and I wish you much success in all aspects of your life. Thank you. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to an interview with professional MMA middleweight fighter Clifford Starks. Hi, I'm Bob Wall, a World Full Contact Karate Champion, and I'm the co-star of End of the Dragon. You're listening to Martial Arts World Radio with Joseph Clark. When I was writing my book, 21st Century Perspectives on Martial Arts, I interviewed several MMA fighter and world champion martial artists. One of them was Chad Laprise. Chad Laprise is a Canadian professional mixed martial artist currently competing for the UFC. He's a professional competitor since 2010. Laprise won in his weight class for the Ultimate Fighter Nations, Canada versus Australia and has also formerly competed for Bellator MMA. His styles are Western kickboxing, wrestling, Muay Thai, Jiu-Jitsu, and Taekwondo. His feedback is that MMA has been constantly evolving over the past 10 years. Guys are reinventing new techniques, and the fighters get better every year. The skill level of the average UFC fighter has doubled in the past three years, according to Chad. Everyone is evolving to one-up the competition, there's a lot more science that he's seeing involved now. He says, I'm doing more highly scientific training, testing my body and applying strengthening in the same fashion as an NFL player. The science is ever-evolving, ever-improving. Chad goes on to suggest that in the street for self-defense, he would rely on MMA. A true mixed martial artist uses everything. The UFC has proven that MMA has become a style unto itself. Chad also says, I adapt by training every day and I train all of my disciplines. The future for MMA is it is going to progress technically and get better. Chad says the sport and the business is advancing. The fighting style through competition. Cinema didn't influence him. He got into it because... He liked full-contact sports. When I asked Chad about the biggest turning point for martial arts, in his opinion, he said it was when the UFC started up in the early days. That was the game-changer. Feedback from UFC fighter Chad Laprise. Next, I interviewed actor Michael Dudikoff. Now, Michael Dudikoff is an actor and martial artist who starred as the lead in the American Ninja series of films and in Enter the Ninja. In a film career which commenced in 1980, he has starred in over 40 movies, several of them being martial arts films. His styles are karate, aikido, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and judo. Michael Dudikoff says, I am an actor who is also a martial artist. A martial arts master is a teacher who owns a dojo. Am I a master? No. Do I love martial arts? Yes. Michael Dudikoff says the changes in martial arts is amazing. In every aspect, you now have to know many things. The best way to defend yourself is to know all the styles. Martial arts is a way of life. How you eat, how you train, how you treat your fellow citizen, who you hang with. 
Always think about the art itself. Michael says, you have to be a special specimen today to do what these UFC fighters do. It is amazing what they do. When the UFC arrived, watching boxing was of no interest to me anymore, says Michael. We were so lucky to have Bruce Lee, to have such a special man and martial artist. Michael goes on to say, when the Gracies brought jiu-jitsu to our attention, it changed everything. But for me as an actor, it is all about the fans. When fans thank me, it makes it all worth it. It is very special, and I mean that humbly. I should be thanking them. Michael Dudikoff goes on to say, For me, it is about inspiring the fans. I was fortunate to be in the right place at the right time for American Ninja. I always lead the Zen way. Martial arts is a way of life. Friendships, spirituality, how you challenge yourself, what you read, the balance you live. For future martial artists, Michael says, We must make sure the humility is always there. There's no winner in any fight unless you are getting paid. For kids growing up today, my kids, your kids, I say, be humble, know how to defend yourself, and know how to confidently decline a conflict. Michael Dudikoff went on to say, I have the lion in me. If I have to defend my family as a martial artist, I challenge myself to be clean in my thoughts and actions. Walk away even if you can win. You don't have to prove anything. He relates the following wisdom. It is how you think of yourself. If anything, I want to express the importance of being very humble while very knowledgeable. Actors and fighters are not above anyone in any way. We are all equal. I just want to be good for my fans. Some very noble words and righteousness from actor martial artist Michael Dudikoff. This is Olivier Gruner. You are listening to Martial Arts World Radio with Joseph Clark. Our next guest began training in martial arts at age 6 and was awarded his first black belt at age 10. He won his first tournament at age 13. He has dedicated himself to being the best fight technician he possibly can for 40 years. He's won in excess of 400 forms, sparring, and weapons titles. Chuck Norris introduced him to an audience as the next Bruce Lee. Bill Wallace said he was the best technician he had ever fought. He has competed against a list of most of the martial arts stars you hear interviewed on this show. He's been widely featured in martial arts magazines, and he is respected amongst the competition circuit and Hollywood as an incredibly gifted aerial kicker. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us from California is Mr. Chucky Curry. Welcome, Chucky. Hey, thank you, Joe. Welcome. Thank you. Chucky, as you know, week in and week out, I'm speaking with martial arts stars and UFC fighters on a daily basis, and it would seem that no matter who I speak to, they know Chucky Curry. Tell us how it is you make such an impression. I just stay very busy. Now, as a kid, I was intrigued by martial arts from Bruce Lee films and my older brother who took Taekwondo and then Kung Fu, but I didn't start formal instruction until I was in my late teens in the military. What motivated you at such a young age to get into martial arts? I live with my grandfather, and I guess watching uh, Kato on television, the Green Hornet series, that just really flipped me out, made me like want to get excited and kick it. And what was the first style you trained in? I believe it was uh, Tai Chi, Wushu, Kung Fu, and then went on. And I read that as a child, at one point, you were training simultaneously in three different schools. Is that correct? Yes, sir. And what style did you earn your first black belt in? I believe it was karate. <laughs> You know, Chucky, for me, martial arts is not just a personal expression and athletic pursuit. It's a philosophy that applies to all aspects of my life. Share some of your philosophy with us. Well, I just believe that one should uh, focus on their goals and be positive and practice hard and be determined and persistent. And who's your favorite fighter, Chucky? Uh, Movies or television or what do you mean? Well, let's start with uh, movies. Well, in the movies, I think Bruce Lee is still real number one. <laughs> and how about your tournament or comp- competition fighter? Well, I like uh, Bill Wallace. I think he's a great fighter. And, you know, he's like one of the favorites. Bill Wallace, of course. For our listeners who are on their tablets and devices, what website would you like to direct them to this evening? ChuckyCurry.com. Chucky Curry, and that's C-U-R-R-I-E. Yes, sir. ChuckyCurry.com. Chucky, how did you get 
that reputation as such a gifted aerial kicker? Uh, probably by doing a lot of jumping kicking techniques. I used to love to do the jump spinning wheel kick techniques, and I would use it in fighting as well as in forms and just, you know, practicing a lot and jumping to the best. And so for those who are watching you when you're competing in point karate or full contact, aerial kicks are obviously very flashy, very entertaining. Yes, sir. Now, when I look at your, your major competition record, uh, I mean, it's obviously a very, very impressive record. However, I noticed that you do have some international championships that you competed in, the USA World International Championship, uh, World Open Karate Championship, World Taekwondo Championship. Did you ever go into martial art competitions that were perhaps sponsored by a different style than that which you took? So, for example, uh, Taekwondo versus karate. Did you have to compete people in, with people in their style using your own? Oh, yes. I competed in a lot of different types of tournaments, and uh, I just was always a freestylist. I just did it my way. Now, Chucky, was there ever a time in your life, either as a competitor or just as a human being, in which you experienced self-doubt? Well, really, not really. You know, I might have got a little butterflies before I fought, but, you know, you train before the competition and you just believe in yourself. And just believe in yourself. When I say the word awesome, who do you think of? Jesus. Good, good, honest answer. And when you fight, does he fight with you? Oh, yeah. Him and Bruce Lee, we all team up. So what advice would you share for young martial artists listening today who might be experiencing self-doubt? Train hard, and uh, with training comes confidence. With training comes confidence. Do you follow the UFC and MMA? I'm a good friend of Scott Coker, so sometimes I'm into it. I'm really trying to focus on films the most now. That's right. So you're working on your film career. Uh, Now, by the way, you know, when I was writing the book 21st Century Perspectives on Martial Arts, I noticed that the UFC crowd, and the MMA crowd rather, and the the uh, full contact karate and the point karate crowd, although there is some overlap, a lot of the time they swim in separate streams. So I don't always necessarily get guests on the show, for example, who come from tournament sport karate, who are fans of MMA and vice versa, and then there's others who are. So, you know, what are your thoughts on MMA, being somebody who came from a different background, who came from that sport karate and that uh, tournament fighting background? Well, I think it's really good. I just think that, uh, you know, discipline and respect is very important. But, you know, when you're fighting, you're in another mindset. But they're doing their best. They're, you know, they do what they can. And the martial arts has come to a new level where, where it's just worldwide, and it's a good thing. Do you have a favorite fighter in the UFC? I like Ronda Rousey. You know, even though she might have got beat down, I still like her just probably because she's, she's a nice girl. So would you share with us, from a, a competition standpoint, what the most challenging fight would have been or a fight that stands out as being a very challenging fight that you experienced in your career? Uh, well, you know, I guess the one of the last tournaments I fought at because I wasn't expecting to fight, and all of a sudden one of my instructors kind of, he said, is it curry chicken or chicken curry? So I went out and fought, and I fought some young guy, and he was really good, and it was just really fun, and I, I just got down. You know, I don't think about anything when I fight. I just let go and let God and just get on down with the groove, buddy. <laughs> Chucky Carey, one of the biggest characters in martial arts competition. So what would you say was the single biggest moment in your life to date? Probably talking uh, on the set of uh, Ocean's Eleven one-on-one with Brad Pitt. I think that was really, really great. That was fun and, and it was fluid. Chucky, would you share with us when you're getting ready for a competition, what would that training, training regimen look like and, and how far out would you begin preparing? Uh, you know, I would train every day. I never would miss practice. And then early in the mornings, I would get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and go down to the school and run track, stretch, throw punches and kicks. And then after that, go to school and just be ready to deal with whoever I was going to have to deal with. Would you be able to share with us a, an example of a difficult moment or a difficult occurrence in your life and how you faced it? Uh, well, uh, I think the, the most difficult thing I had to deal with is losing my brother and my sister within the last two years. But I just had to just pray and have faith in God and then just, you know, believe and just move forward and just know that everything's going to be all right. For some of our audience and our listeners who are experiencing loss at this point in time, any additional words of wisdom that you might get them since you've walked in their shoes? 
Yes, the best thing I could say is, you know, trust in the Lord and lean not towards your own understanding and just know that everything is going to be all right and make sure you get yourself ready because tomorrow ain't promised to nobody. So get yourself right because the flight might be tonight. <laughs> now, Chucky, on our show, as you can appreciate, I'm sure we have lots of young future champions who are listening in for tidbits of information on what they should be doing or best practices. Can you give us some tips for some of our future champions on pursuing personal excellence? Yes, well, you know, make sure you study your craft and make sure you, you stretch and kick and do extra exercise. I mean, if you want to be the best, you got to train harder than the rest. And train harder than the rest. And lastly, Chucky, this is our last question, and I thank you very much for the interview. Before we bring it to closure, in terms of personal integrity, personal character, would you make a few comments on how the martial arts have taught you character lessons that you've had to apply to life? Yes, martial arts taught me a lot about being patient, being persistent, and uh, being focused, and not letting nobody stop me from reaching my goals, just to believe it and know that you can achieve it, and just take it one heartbeat at a time and just go for it. Chucky, I want to say congratulations once again on your personal journey, and I wish you success on your endeavor towards a film career. Thank you once again. Thank you, sir, for having me. You have an excellent day, and thanks, everybody. And you as well. Mr. Chucky Curry. Be sure to check us out at our website at www.mawradio.com or at Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube by following Martial Arts World Radio. Thanks for listening. I'm Joseph Clark wishing you safe travels. Martial Arts World Radio is the official radio show and podcast of The Factory, Martial Arts Boxing and Fitness at 450 Matheson Boulevard East, Unit 44, Mississauga, Ontario. Check us out at www.factorygrindgym.com.